So as I mentioned, uh, well, as we've mentioned a few times now, we're, we're starting our new series focusing on worship. Um, and today I'm going to be talking about what is worship. Um, now, for some of you, you might have been around church for a while. This might be a word you've heard time and time again over many years, worship. Um, but I wonder for you whether the word worship has changed in its meaning at all, whether for you depending on your context or kind of where you've been in your life, what your understanding of worship has been, um, just because you've been aware of the concept of worship for a while, I expect for many of you uh, that's changed in how it looks in your life. It might be some of you who have been part of the church world, for want of a better term, um, for less time, and worship might be something that still seems unclear as to what we really mean. Different people might say different things, describe it in different ways. And so hopefully this morning we're going to drill down a little bit into what worship is, uh, what our true worship is. Um, and I think this needs clarification, particularly because the wider church, I think especially in, in these times, or in my experience, um, I had to talk to you afterwards about what your experience has been, but I feel like we've made a huge error in the way we talk about, think about, and practice worship. You see, we've made worship a period of time on a Sunday morning. For many people, uh, worship is when we come together in a church building uh, and we sing some songs. Now, I'll come back to the power there is in that and why I think that's important we do sing together and as an act of worship. But I think it's extremely uh, kind of a miss, um, it's an oversight really to, to reduce our worship just to some songs on a Sunday morning um, even if deep down we know this isn't all of our worship, does our practice, does our words, uh, does our way of thinking reflect that this is how we view worship? I've been as guilty as anyone that this over the years and talking about we're going to have a time of worship when really uh, that's not at all what we're meaning. Depending on your denomination, your tradition, your culture, um, worship might look different. Um, but for us, I guess... Uh, broadly speaking, as Resound, we have a collection of songs um, that we might be used to facilitate this time of worship. Uh, a most crude simplification, we've got about 20-odd songs that we'll sing in different orders on different Sundays over many years. Um, most of these, particularly some of these newer ones, are written by a small handful of either American or Australian white men, to be honest, um, from these hugely influential megachurches. Um, worship has become... A product has been something that we can sell and manufacture. Now, that's not always the heart of the people involved in the recording of worship songs. Um, might not be anyone's heart, but that has become part of the, the church machine that we see in the world. The world is different to how it has been ever before. Society is different, and church is, uh, in many ways, quite business-like. And so worship has been caught up in that um, frame of mind. I say this is a simplification, I'm just using that to make a point, but there is truth within it. Um, the danger is that we reduce our idea of worship to a 20-minute slot on a Sunday each week where we sing a couple of songs. And the danger of this, for me, is that this impacts our identity. For I truly believe that we are created to worship our purpose, that, that kind of big question, what is the purpose of life? For me, the answer, if not one of only a few, is we're created to worship. There's no point in me saying that without following up with what I mean by what worship is, what it can be, and what it should be. So, 
let's get stuck into what the Bible has to tell us about worship. It's a good place to start. Um, in his letter to the church in Rome, the Apostle Paul speaks about worship. Um, and in Romans chapter 12, we read this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you might discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and, and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honour, do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink, for by doing this you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In the past, I've heard the, the first few um, verses of that passage isolated. Uh, in fact, that was the first bit of the Bible, the first Bible verse I ever learned when I was a young Christian. I memorized Romans 12, um, and in my kind of youth NIV Bible, it said, uh, don't change yourself to be like the people of this world, but be transformed and changed within by a new way of thinking. But as I read through this now, in this context of worship, uh, let me encourage you to read that, uh, that fairly long list as a list of ways that we might offer ourselves as living sacrifices, as we're implored to do at the start. I don't think there's any coincidence that Paul starts by this command of giving ourselves as living sacrifices as an act of worship, and then telling us all these different things we can do uh, to demonstrate that. In this passage, we introduce the idea of worship being an offering to God. In our culture, the, the language of offerings might be uh, a thing of the past, a fragment of things we predominantly might read in the Bible. Um, I haven't got the time or the knowledge, to be honest with you, to go into the detail about the Old Testament offering practices and rituals 
uh, the cultures and the theology that lies behind all of those. Um, but I'm going to have a go anyways. Um, in, in brief, offerings were commonly sacrifices. An animal was taken and killed. Um, the use of sacrifice by Paul kind of relates directly to this offering practice. It was believed that the consequence of sin was death. Uh, and it was clear that people, humanity, had sinned. Um, we see in the story of Noah's Ark that um, God basically, in that instance, has enough. It's too much. Uh, and so wipes all people out except for one righteous family. Um, at the end of that, it so happens that God promises never to do that again. Instead of people being killed to pay the price of sin, animals are used as a scapegoat. The innocent animal is taken as a symbolic representation of us and killed on our behalf. This again is represented in the story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham going to sacrifice his son Isaac because that's what God's told him to do. Uh, he's obedient, he follows. Um, yeah, he's inter God intervenes and provides an animal which would be a sacrifice in the place of Isaac. Of course, this journey of sacrificial offerings uh, comes to fulfillment when God's self is sacrificed. Jesus dying on the cross to be the ultimate offering made on our behalf. So when Paul encourages us to be living sacrifices, uh, is in kind of in, in this realm of thinking of the offering and the sacrifice being made. Instead of an animal being killed, Jesus was killed on our behalf, and so we can offer ourselves as sacrifices, but living sacrifices. We can begin to understand worship in the framework of how we live our lives, ways which this passage says uh, that are holy and acceptable to God. Now, I think the question of what is holiness is um, probably something a little big for this morning, um, for the time I've got, so we can come back to that another time. But I will look into what is acceptable to God. And again, we'll look at the Bible for guidance as to what we see as acceptable to God, what is required of us. Now, the prophet Micah, uh, in the Old Testament as well, suggests three things that God requires of us. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. In light of this and this thinking of worship, we can understand that acts of justice are acts of worship. To have a merciful heart is to have a worshipful heart. If we go into the book of Deuteronomy, uh, we see another exploration of what God requires of us. Uh, in chapter 10 of Deuteronomy, it says, um, So now, O Israel, what does the Lord require of you? Only to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his decrees that I'm commanding you today for your own well-being. God, it seems, requires all of our heart. Now, uh, the kind of the philosopher in me has spent a while thinking about what do we talk about when we talk about our heart. We know biologically it's a muscle, we, but we speak of the heart, I think, we all have a sense of what we understand um, that, that means. We say it comes from our heart. It speaks of our emotional uh, being. It talks about our deepest feelings, our desires. Uh, this is both positive and negative stuff that we hold on to. It talks about our view of ourself, our self-esteem, our insecurities, our pride. All of these, I think, are what make up our heart. So if you add this to our understanding of what worship is, 
Uh, we can begin to see it as laying down all of those things, everything we carry um, the weight of. If we do this, we can get rid of that which is self-centered and bring God into its rightful place as first in our hearts. We pursue a life that serves God and others, and that receives the love of God and shares that with others. Worship in this state, uh, in this sense, is a state of heart. It's a way of being in our heart, which abandons self and puts God first. When we do this, we see that we can worship in all that we do. We can worship as we work. We can worship in our family life. We can worship in our friendships. We can worship as we manage our finances. We can worship as we do our chores or our shopping. We can worship as we care for the sick or talk to the lonely. We can worship in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. So this is my primary message I want us to take away today. Um, whether it's the first time you realizing this, whether this is something you've been reminded of again and again, let this be a fresh reminder for you. I think there are very few things that are as important for us to understand as God's people. We can and should worship God in all of our lives. God's self-sacrifice, we spoke about on the cross, we remind ourselves constantly of this exemplifies why God is worthy of all praise and all worship. If you look in the Bibles again and again, particularly the Psalms, God is worthy of praise, God is worthy of praise, God is worthy of our worship. Now, depending on your life experience, that might uh, be harder to believe that sometimes than others. But we remember that central act of self-sacrifice, that God is worthy of our worship. So then if we revisit that description of worship I started with um, as a time of singing, hopefully now, even if you disagree with what I've said so far, you can see why I would say this is diminishing um, a fullness of worship. Yeah, I want to begin to finish by suggesting that Singing together is a natural act of responding to God in worship. Uh, I spoke about worshipping in our thoughts, our words, and our actions. And when we come together on a Sunday morning, as we are now, singing is all of these things. Singing for a short while uh, means that we can abandon that which we've carried into today. We can leave behind our self, our thoughts, our feelings, our hurts. We can bring them and lay them before God. And singing, we can focus on words which reflect the nature of God and all the reasons we have for being thankful and for giving praise. Naturally, singing isn't everyone's favorite thing, uh, especially not singing in big groups like this. Yet, uh, for me, I'll acknowledge my own bias here as someone who's passionate about music and the power of music. Um, I find there is something tangible that when we sing together in, the, in a song uh, that affects our hearts. Maybe it's the melody uh, that emotionally engages us with what we're doing, with the act of singing, the words we sing. Maybe it's the symbolism of each of us coming, leaving ourself behind and joining in one voice, singing the same words together. Maybe there's something in the confidence required to really belt out a tune where you acknowledge, even for a short while, you don't need to or want to hide any longer the faith that within us can be expressed vocally. Maybe song is just a natural human means of expressing joy and thanksgiving when we remember what God's done for us. Whatever it might be, I truly believe there is good reason for the tradition of God's people choosing song 
to sing praise to God. As we come before God in worship, in all ways, it humbles us and lays us before God to glorify God. There's a picture in the book of Revelation, uh, you find at the end of the Bible, of the vision of the throne room of God. Uh, and amongst other slightly weird things and creatures, we are shown that there is singing day and night, all the time, constantly singing praise to God, glorifying God. I know for some people that might sound more like a vision of hell than a vision of heaven, but the picture, the idea behind the picture is that God is worthy, and in the presence of God, none can help but sing constantly, glorifying God. So let's worship with all of our lives. Let's enter every day with hearts full of thanksgiving to God for who God is to us, all that God's done for us. And out of that heart, we can live our lives in the ways which are holy and acceptable to God, glorifying God and pouring out God's love to our neighbours. And as we sing together, we can remember this is not meant to be the limits of our worship, but instead it's a distillation of all of those things, focusing our hearts and minds on words which express our praise and thanksgiving to God, humbling ourselves and pouring out joy. And finally, as we sing, we can remember these incredibly beautiful words shared by the prophet Zephaniah uh, in chapter 3. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. This is not just a human thing then. God rejoices over us with singing. So let us remember that as we return the favour, as we give to God what God is worthy of. So Lord, wherever we're at in our lives, wherever we are in relation to you at this moment, we thank you for who you are to us, what you've done for us. You've shown you are worthy of praise, worthy of our worship. And so we offer you all of ourselves, all of our heart. Help us to lay down the things which we hold on to, which hinder us from worshipping you. May we see in new ways your glory, that we might pour out our praise to you. And help us to recognise the opportunities we have in each and every day, in all that we do, to live in a way that is a sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. May our lives reflect your goodness and your love. In your name we pray. Amen. Um.